0: Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Matthew 10 and James 1. When it comes to engaging the world for Christ, having the right mindset makes all the difference. Two critical mindsets are discussed in this final sermon from the Vision Series. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We desire everyone to experience God, to exalt Christ, to embrace community, and to engage the world. And so the last week and this week, we have talking about the last tenet, which is engage the world. And we chose that very specifically because to engage the world means that we become involved with people so that we can attract them, we can interest them in Christ, so much so that they'll continue to think about that. At some point in their life, they give their life to Christ. That's what engaging the world is all about. Now, there's a lot of ways for us to engage the world. Uh, we can do it by what we might call a need-based ministries, uh, feeding the hungry, you know, poverty, homeless, etc. cetera. Uh, we can work with organizations that are already in place that we just volunteer through their systems and we're able to engage the world that way. We engage the world when we simply are building relationships and building friendships with our neighbors, with our work associates, people that our kids play sports teams with, etc., <clears throat> so that we have the opportunity to talk to them about Christ. That's engaging the world. Uh, we can do it through civic organizations. We can th- do it through the political arena to get in those arenas so that we could be salt and light. Uh, we do it through what we call divine appointments, where God just seems to bring people into our path that we can minister to. We do it personally, and we do it corporately. Personally, it's simply all of us as believers should be engaging our world as we live our life. And that's between you and the Lord how you do that. Then there's corporately through River fellowship, which we're still working on in the months to come. We'll be sharing more about what that's going to look like as a body, how we engage the world as a body. But last week, we dealt with why to engage the world. And we basically said it's because God loves the world. People need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And he's called us to be in the middle. It's almost like we're the mediators. There's a God who loves the world. There's a world who needs Jesus. They may not know they need Jesus. They may not even want anything to do with Jesus, but they need Jesus. And so we're kind of the mediaries here to help bridge that gap. This morning, I want to talk about a mindset that we have to have if we are going to effectively, long-term, engage our world. And before I get into it, I need to preface it with two things. First, I believe this message is probably for me more than it is for you. I think I need this message even more than probably anyone else here. In fact, God's already preached this sermon to me about five times this week. So I'm still trying to work through that. Part of that reason is because just personally in my individual walk, I wanna be sure that my heart is to engage the world and that I'm doing what God's called me to do, just on a personal level as a believer. But also as lead pastor of River Fellowship, I want to be sure we're, we're eight weeks in, we're, 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 we're infants. So I want to be sure we get on the right track. I want to be sure we go down the right path. I want to be sure that we have the right DNA that is a part of who we are as River Fellowship, which is engaging the world. Secondly, let me say that I'm, I'm so excited about what God is doing with River Fellowship and I'm so grateful for the people that God is already amassing and bringing. So many that have the spirit of, of selflessness and service and ministry and work and sacrifice, and so many that, that miss this worship because they're ministering to our children. We have so many teams that are already active, so many people doing so much stuff. Our giving is is above what we even thought it would be at this level. Everything is great, everything is wonderful. I'm saying all that to say I don't want anybody to think what I'm gonna say in the sermon is a reaction to what's going on now in the church, okay? Sometimes pastors will do that, they think something's going on, they have to preach about it. That's not what this is, okay? This is not a reflection on anything going on in River Fellowship that may be negative, all right? Everything is wonderful, I'm fired up, and this this is just a reminder for us as we move forward How will we maintain a long-term effectiveness in engaging the world? That's what this message is about. So I want to give you two mindsets this morning. These two mindsets are critical if we're going to have this long-term engagement. The first one is what I'm going to call a loser's mindset. Let me invite you to look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 37. Now, loser's mindset sounds kind of bad. I can remember when our kids were young, the big, the big uh, saying back in the day was the two little L's, and it was always going around saying, loser, loser, double loser. You know, it was a cut down. Nobody wants to be a loser. So here we're talking about loser's mentality. Well, Scripture gives us a whole different concept of what it means to be a loser. And so this is the mindset we have to have. Let's look at it. Chapter 10, Matthew, verse 37. Anyone... Who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The key passage, obviously, verse 39 whoever finds his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, this passage is talking about salvation, but not just salvation. It is even talking about martyrdom, but not just martyrdom. Really what the passage is speaking about is that we must be willing to lose our life. We must be willing to risk it all. We must be willing to give up everything everything, to give up all those things that really matters, even if it's our father and mother, even if it's our son and daughter, all of those relationships that we hold so dear, all of those possessions that we hold so dear, all of those priorities and our visions and our careers, everything that we hold dear and of value. This is saying we have to be willing to risk it all, to lose it all, to give it all up. The loser's mindset is a decision that says the calling is more compelling Than the comfort. Let that soak in for a moment. What he's calling us to is to come to a decision that says the calling is more compelling than the comfort. We've got to look at the context here. In this context of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out into their world to engage the world. In verse six, it tells us that they're going to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, they're fellow Jews, they're going into towns and villages and little cities and they're engaging the world. They're preaching, they're ministering, they're healing, they're casting out demons, they're they're engaging the people with the gospel of Christ. But Jesus tells them and, and warns them as they go in, verse 17 and around that area, you're gonna have some problems. There's gonna be some risk involved. There's some danger involved. You're gonna be handed over to the council. There are, going to people, there are going to be people that aren't going to respond to you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be flogged. So this ain't going to be easy. I'm sending you out here, but there's going to be some risk and persecution involved. So I'm just letting you know that up front. That's why he says on verse 26, do not be afraid of them. He tells them again in verse 28, do not be afraid of those can kill the body. In other words, you're going to encounter, when you go engage your world, you're going to encounter some resistance and some problems and some persecution. But don't be afraid. It's all good. Why? Because in verse 29 and 30, because he promises his care and protection. He said, just look at the sparrows. They seem so insignificant. But how much care and protection God gives a sparrow? How much more valuable you are? Don't you know that he's going to give ultimate care and protection? So yes, you're going to be at risk, but don't worry about it. I'm going to protect you. So he tells him one more time in verse 31, don't be afraid. Can you kind of get the trend of what he's trying to communicate? (laughs) Don't be afraid. But then in verse 37, he shifts because at that point, he's been talking to his disciples, the 12. But now he broadens it and he says, anyone. Everyone, whosoever, anyone, verse 39, we get to that point, whoever wants to find his life is gonna lose it. But if you're willing to lose it, then you'll find it. The word find here means to discover. The word lose means to destroy. So really what he's saying is that if we will be willing to lose it all, if we will be willing to risk it all, if we will be willing to really trust God, God, then we'll discover the life that God really intended for us to have. Part of my kind of devotion routine is combined with the little workout routine that I do, which is walking around my park for some cardio deals, so I'm able to just listen to sermons and teachings and and different things like that. Well, this week, midweek, I listened to a guy named Francis Chan, Some of you may be very familiar with Francis Chan. Some of you may not be. Uh, He's big about engaging the world. I didn't even know this is what he was going to preach on. But as I listened to it, uh, he will convict you and challenge you about engaging the world. So if you want to be convicted and challenged, go listen to Francis Chan this week. If you don't want to be challenged, don't go listen to him. Because he is very intense. But he made an illustration that I thought was very compelling that got me thinking. He said that... uh, In the church world, generally speaking now, in the church world, we've developed a zoo mentality. Churches have become zoos, and believers have become zoo animals. So as I thought about that, here's really what he's saying. In a zoo, you take these wild animals, these untamed animals, some instances, jungle animals, lions, tigers, then you have all kinds of these wild animals. You bring them into a zoo, into a cage, Now, it's a great environment, and most of these zoos go to extreme lengths to make it a great environment. They put them in a a natural habitat that may be their natural habitat so that they feel like they're at home. They're uh, protected from the elements. Most of them, they can go inside and have some protection from the elements. They're separated from predators. So if they have a natural predator out in the jungle, they don't have to worry about Somebody coming after them, they're safe and secure in their little space. They don't have to search for food. Food is brought to them. They don't have to hunt for food. They don't have to fight for food. They don't have to wonder if they're going to have some food. They've got medical treatment just at their disposal. So if they do get hurt or injured, then they've got medical treatment right there. So it is a comfortable life, but it is a caged life. And what has happened is you've taken wild, jungle, untamed animals and you've put them in a zoo and now they're comfortable but they're not living the way God created them to be. They were created to be jungle animals. They were created to be wild animals, not zoo animals. So the analogy is that as believers, we can develop a zoo mentality where we say, you know what, I want to be in a safe environment. We can come into a really nice, comfortable habitat We're free from the danger and the risk and the persecution that the world might throw our way. We have somebody who will feed us. We don't have to feed ourselves. Somebody's feeding us. We have programming that will take care of our children, and they'll train our children for us. And the church, from the church side, has kind of adopted the same mentality. Come, we'll provide a safe place. We'll provide a good place. We'll provide programming and teaching. So what happens is we begin to create a zoo mentality in the church. We're comfortable. We're safe. The problem is we're missing out on the greatest adventure. We're missing out on what God created us to be because God did not create us in a zoo mentality. It's a jungle mentality. He has created us to engage the world. In Acts chapter 5, there's another interesting story. The apostles are going out again, engaging the world. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're healing, they're ministering, they're casting all doing all of that. Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish uh, elite, spiritual elite back in that day, uh, they didn't like that, so they went out to get the apostles, they arrest all the apostles, and they imprison the apostles. While they're in prison that night, an angel of the Lord comes and releases the apostles and sends them out to the temple, says, I want you to go to the temple and continue to engage the world and continue to preach. So that's what they do. So the very thing that got them thrown into prison, they go back and they do it again. Well, the Sanhedrin find out about it again. So they come back out. They gather them up again. They have some conversations with the apostles. Finally, they can't really determine what to do with them. So they decide, well, we're just going to beat them. We're going to flog them. We're going to whip them, and then we'll release them. So they bring them in. They flog and whip them. And they say, quit preaching, quit engaging, and leave. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, here's the response of the apostles. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The apostles left rejoicing, why? They had just been whipped and beaten and they're rejoicing right after that. They're still, I'm sure, wounded and scarred and painful but they're rejoicing, that word means to celebrate. It means to rejoice, they're shouting hallelujah, they're high-fiving, they're chest bumping, they're hugging, they're just having a party, why? They're rejoicing because they got to suffer. Now, if I'm ever called on to suffer for the Lord, I pray that I'm willing and I pray that I don't embarrass my Savior and I'm able to do that. But to rejoice over it, (laughs) to celebrate it, that's a whole different level. That's a whole different mindset. That's a whole different thing altogether. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see another interesting story. Paul is recounting everything that he has gone through and experienced because of his decision to engage the world. Now, when he recounts, it, it can come across like he's bragging and boasting. He's not. He's responding to some negative criticism of, of other people. So he's just kind of laying out what he's done almost in sarcasm. But in that context, you see everything that Paul's gone through. He's gone through shipwrecks, beatings, stonings, floggings, hunger, Danger, lack of sleep, toil, hard week, hard work over and over and over. Why would Paul, in the midst of engaging the world, encounter all of this danger and peril and persecution, but then still have the heart and the desire to want to continue to do that? Well, we get a little insight in, in some of his passages. In Philippians 3:10, Paul says, "I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection." and in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He says, I want to know Christ. How? In the power of his resurrection. How are you going to know Christ in the power of his resurrection unless you're in situations where you have to experience the power of his resurrection? If you're never in a situation where you have to see his power come forth, you don't ever experience that power. So what he's saying is I'm engaging the world and I'm risking and I'm in peril and I'm experiencing all this stuff, but it's in all of those situations that I'm experiencing the power of God over and over and over. And I want to share in the suffering. In other words, he understands how Christ suffered for us to give us life. And he says, I want to understand that and share in that. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I want to know Christ in the most intimate way possible. And this is how I'm doing it. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I fought the good fight. He's kind of at the end of his ministry. It's the end of his life. He's at the place where he knows his, his departure is soon. And so in reflection, he's saying, I fought the good fight. Man, I finished the race. I kept the faith. In other words, I didn't just go out there and cruise. I have a clear conscience because I have been fighting the fight. I've been going full speed ahead and I can go now with a clear conscience to say I've done what God's called me to do. Here's the reality. There is an intimacy with Christ. There is a fellowship with God. There is a peace and a joy and a power and a sense of victory that only comes with the loser's mindset. The only way you experience that is when you come to the place where you say, I'm willing to lose my life instead of trying to save it. When we can come to the reality of what is most important, that's to know Christ, that's to experience Christ, that's to have fellowship with Christ, that's to be used by Christ, that's to to live out the dynamic that He has saved us for to engage the world, that's when we begin to experience. For me, I wanna be able to say at the end of my life, man, I fought a good fight. I wasn't perfect, I didn't do everything right, Man, I blew it a billion times, but I kept fighting. I kept going. I kept running, and I want to have that clear conscience. Here's the the thing. We were created to engage the world, not to shrink from it. We are empowered to love the world, not fear it. We're called to meet the needs of people, not ignore them. We're designed for battle, not the sidelines. We're called to deny self, not to protect self. We've been given gifts to use them, not waste them. We are to charge the gates of hell, not retreat from them. We're called to the jungle, not the zoo. We're called to lose our life, not to save it. This is the loser's mindset. Without that mindset, we will not consistently, effectively, and long-term engage the world. But the great thing is if we can develop and maintain a loser's mindset, that's where we experience life. In the Greek it's zoe, which is life exactly the way God intended for us to experience. When we risk, when we face the persecution, when we encounter things that we say, "If God, if you don't come through, I'm in deep trouble, that's when we see God come through and we witness him in the power of his resurrection. So we have to have a loser's mindset. Here's a second mindset if we're going to effectively engage the world. We have to have a doer's mindset. Let me invite you to flip over to James chapter 1. Look at one more passage, James chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 22. As you know, James is, is the doer book. It's all about living the life and putting it into practice. So this passage is very familiar passage to us. James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That word listen literally means just to kind of hear it's almost like I, I hear some sound. I'm not understanding it. I'm not comprehending it. I'm not applying it. I'm not really listening. To, I'm just, I'm hearing it. It sounds kind of like, nah, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of, it's just kind of one ear, out the other. I hear it, but that's all. That's what that word means. Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He's not blessed in what he hears. He's blessed... In what he does. In other words, if we're going to experience the blessed life, if you want to be blessed, if you want to experience the blessing of God, it comes from a doer's mentality, not a hearer's mentality. He gives a really funny um, um, illustration here in my mind. It's the picture of somebody that goes and looks in a mirror, and you turn from the mirror and you forgot what you look like. Now, who does that? How, How weird is that? How unengaged, how disengaged, how out of it does somebody have to be to look in a mirror and then totally forget what you look like? Do I have brown hair? Do I have green hair? Do I have white hair? Do I have on jeans? What he's trying to indicate here is that, man, you are out of it. You are so unplugged, you don't even remember what you look like. What he's saying is don't be like that spiritually. Don't be the person that comes and hears the word but then as soon as you get up to leave, it's like, what did he say? I don't know. What did the preacher preach on that? I don't know. What did your life group leader teach on that? I don't know. What, what was your I don't that that's what he's trying to say. We're so unplugged that scripture and teaching in the word to us is just like dying and die, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's all we're hearing. We don't even know really what's going on. Kind of hear some noise. That's, that's what he's trying to portray here. So don't be a hearer. What he's trying to communicate is the blessing of God comes when you become a doer of the word. It's a doer's Mindset. There's a, I don't know if it's a dilemma, that's too harsh, but uh, an option that when something breaks or something needs to be done, you have to repair something or or you have to uh, do something. It's either do I call the pros or do I do it myself? Still do it yourself mentality. So whatever the issue is, do I call a pro to do it or do I do it myself? Well, there are some things that my wife has told me, you're calling the pros. Because she knows me and she knows if I try to do it myself and certain things, it's going to be worse and make a mess. It's going to cost us twice as much money, so I just call the pros. But there's a lot of other stuff that we do it ourselves, And that's in all arenas, whether it's home repair, whether it's auto mechanics, whatever it is. The, the, the do-it-yourself is, is really growing. I like that. In fact, I did something myself for the first time. I actually built a fence. Tyler and I uh, together built a fence for the first time for a family member. I'd never built a fence. You know, I'd replace some fence posts. I would some pickets and minor just kind of patchwork. But I'd never just ripped a fence out and put another fence in. So we did it for the first time. And it wasn't just any fence. It was an eight-foot cedar fence with a decorative topper. I mean, this was a heavy-duty fence. This was a pretty intense fence for guys that have never put a fence up before. But let me tell you, we learned a lot. It was a lot of fun. I had, a, I, had a, I had a blast. I would do it again. Now, there were some issues that we had to encounter, and there was stuff we didn't know, so we had to get some information, but it was, it was a blast. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. The good thing is, though, we had a little bit of assistance because Allstate Fence Company provided all the materials. So it wasn't like we had to go cut down trees and trim out the wood and make the pickets. You know, we had somebody that was providing that for us. They even gave us some advice that we could ask questions. In fact, when, one trip, we were um waiting to get some stuff loaded and there was a guy there getting some stuff loaded he was a he was a pro he'd been doing it for like 30 years so we started talking and we told him now we've never done this before so he just began to offer us some advice which was really cool the only problem is when we got in the car we're talking and saying we're more confused now than we were before we started we don't know what he was talking about home depot provided us some supplies and they rent tools So we didn't have to do everything on our own. We were able to get some tools to help us in the process, so we had some resources. But it was great, and I would do it again. Even though it was hard work, it was wonderful. Churches, many churches have developed a leave-it-to-the-pros mentality. We've hired some pastors. We've hired some staff. They're the pros. They're the ones called to ministry. They're the ones that we've hired and that we're paying to do this, so we're just going to leave all the engagement and all the ministry to the pros and we're just going to enjoy the work. That is not the biblical model of the role of the pastor. That's not the biblical model of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says that some were made to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. It doesn't say that some were called to be pastors and teachers so they could do all the work, but we called some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's People to do the works of the service part of my role as your pastor is to mobilize you into ministry it's the mobilization of the masses that's part of my role so the proper picture of the church is a do-it-yourself mindset it's not the pros it's all of us doing it ourselves. here's how it kind of works to really understand this you have to see the church in kind of two paradigms in one you have the church that is the institution, the organization. A lot of times we think of church as ex church, the institution. The other paradigm is what is really the church, which is the people, the body of Christ, the people of God, the bride of Christ, the church. But we have to kind of see it in two ways because here's how it's working. On one side, we have the church institutional, organizational, kind of like Allstate Fence Company, kind of like Home Depot. We have this resource base that the church institutional can provide resources and teaching and training and encouragement and power and prayer and partnership so that the church body can do the work of the Ministry. So the church institutional provides the framework, so the church, the body, does the work and does the ministry. That's the picture of the church. It's a do-it-yourself mentality. It's a doers' mindset. It's what I'm going to call this morning the mobilization of the masses. And we've seen this dynamic in our world and in our nation. I say in the last decade it's exploded. For example, Uber. What's Uber? I think you all know. It's a peer-to-peer ride-sharing network. It's a transportation network, not a professional taxi service. You know, back in the day, you'd have a couple of professional taxi services that if you needed a ride, you would call these taxi services. Not anymore. Now it's just normal, everyday people using their own vehicles to transport people. It was founded nine years ago, and last year, their total assets totaled 15 billion dollars. They're in 633 cities worldwide. They have revolutionized that transportation industry. Another example, Airbnb. Peer-to-peer property rental. Enterprise. They were founded 10 years ago, and last year, just in one year, they received assets of $2.6 billion. They're in 65,000 cities worldwide, 191 counties and uh, countries, and so far there are over 260 check ins. So they own no real estate. So they're in the rental business, but they own no real estate. Why? It's everybody using their own property. So everybody's the Hyatt. Everybody's the Hilton. Everybody's Motel 6. Everybody's leaving their light on. It's a mobilization of the masses. What about the media outlets? Remember back in the day, there were a certain few TV stations, a certain few newspaper resources, magazine. In other words, there were some systems. If you wanted to be a media outlet source, you had to be part of the organization, part of the system. Not anymore with social media. Everybody is a media outlet. So here's what you've got. Everyone's a cab driver. Everyone's a hotel manager. Everyone's a reporter with our phones. Everyone's a photographer. Everyone's a recording engineer. Everyone is everything because of this mobilization of the masses. And so why not everybody be an evangelist? Everyone be a pastor. Everyone be a teacher. Everyone be a witness. Everyone be a missionary. Everyone be a doer. That's the mobilization of the masses. And here's the mindset that we're going to have to have. If we're going to effectively, long-term, engage the world, we have to have a doer's mindset. Here's the joyful part in my, my, my heart. We can make a difference. We can make an impact. We can see lives change dramatically because of the power of Christ. If we'll develop a loser's and doer's mentality, we can see God do some amazing and incredible things. It's going to be... It'll be miraculous. I mentioned Francis Chan earlier. He said one more thing at the start of his message that really stuck with me. At this point, he was talking to pastors before he really kind of got into his teaching. He was telling a little bit of his story. how He was a pastor and he ended up leaving his church for a variety of reasons to, to, so he could engage the world more effectively. Imagine that. But he was talking to pastors and this is what he said. We, speaking as pastors, we cause great harm. We can cause harm to the cause of Christ, we harm the glory of God, we harm the body of Christ. We cause great harm, we weaken the body by doing too much for people and expecting too little from them. Let that soak in just for a minute. I as your pastor, I will hurt the cause of Christ, I will hurt the glory of God I will weaken the body of Christ by doing too much for you and expecting too little from you. The doer's mindset. My prayer is that we will be a strong body, that we will be a mobilized army, that we will be a faith-filled church, that regardless of the risk, regardless of the cost, regardless of the price, that we would have a willingness to get out of our comfort zone, to get out of our easy chair, to be a kind of people that said, we will engage the world. That's my prayer. I hope that's your prayer. Let me ask you to bow, if you would. Just as the Spirit speaks, I just want to remind you This message is not a reprimand because I think we are living this. This is who River Fellowship is. My prayer is that this will be who River Fellowship will always be. That as we mature, as we grow, as we begin to reach people, as we begin to get into a system, that we will never find ourselves fading back to the zoo mentality. We'll never see ourselves moving back to the pro mentality, but we will have in our DNA, we are losers (laughs) and we are doers for the glory of Christ and for the impact of people. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Emerald, Texas or to hear more messages, go to rfamarello.org. Thanks, have a great week.